Good morning. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27 this morning. We're going to touch on verse 18, but primarily James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Just a reminder that next Sunday afternoon, 2 o'clock at Bob and Joan's house is our baptism. Any of you that would like to be baptized by me next week, please see Mike, one of our elders, or my wife Lisa, or get in contact with us somehow. I'll be meeting with all of you next Sunday for just a few moments um, after church. And uh, don't forget to bring, obviously, uh, uh, some kind of swimwear or something to go into the, the pool with, as well as a towel and a change of clothes. So we're looking forward to, to that. We started a series last week in the book of James. James was the half-brother of Jesus, makes him a unique niche in the New Testament. James's book is about tests of living faith. First of all, that our faith, what is it? It is, it is our convictions about spiritual things. It's our convictions about God. And they need to be strong because our faith throughout our life, even as a Christian, is going to be tested. And James reminded us last week that the first test of our faith is going to be trials. When trials come into our life, they're going to test what we believe about God. Today, the second test that James is going to share with us is that our faith is tested by our response to the Word of God, by our response to God's voice in our life, by our response to God's revelation. Our faith will be tested. Why? Well, do we really believe that God has spoken? Do we believe that God speaks to us through his indwelling Holy Spirit, through the circumstances of life? Do we hear God's voice? Do we want to hear God's voice? Do we believe that the Bible isn't just another book or an ordinary book, that it is a supernatural book that contains the very word of God to us? And if so, then, what is our desire to hear from God? And do we listen when God speaks? And do we obey when we know what God says? These are all, in a sense, tests of our faith. Because again, going back to faith, if we really believe God is, that he exists, that he has spoken, that we can understand him, that we can hear him, that he has revealed himself to us, then how bad do we really want to hear? And when we hear, does it really change us and transform us? You see, as we've said many times here at the Oasis, God didn't give us the Bible for information, but for transformation. And when you and I be even become Christians, that's not the end of the journey. According to God's Word, that's just the beginning, you see. That's why I want to refer back to verse 18 for just a moment of James, where he says, of his sovereign plan, he gave us birth by the message of truth so that we would be a kind of 
first fruits of all he created. I want to zero in on that word first fruits. It, it not only speaks about sort of that part of the crop that was special, that was set aside. And so what James is saying there, first of all, is that as human beings, we are special amongst all of God's creation. We are set apart from everything else God created. But the concept of first fruits also reminds us that though this is a special part of the crop, it's sort of the first fruits of the crop, it is signaling to us that there's more to come. And not only that there was more human beings to come, to come to faith and be born again, but that there's more for each of us as born-again Christians. That it's not just the new birth and that's it. It is becoming who God created us to be. The salvation of our souls that we talked about in Peter and that James actually refers to here in this passage of Scripture as well. You see, the Bible, again, God's revelation tells us in the book of Philippians, Paul says, he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Well, beginning a good work doesn't mean it was finished. It means it's an ongoing, continuous thing that lasts throughout our Christian life. Paul says to the Ephesians, we are God's workmanship, ongoing, continual workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. The Bible tells us that we were predestined to be conformed through a process to be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the Christian life. So, do I have faith to believe that God has spoken to me? And if he has, do I really want to hear what God has to say? Am I putting myself in a place where God can speak to me and where I can hear from God continually, but also am I embracing what God is saying and am I buying into it in a sense? Do I believe that there's more after salvation and that now that's my responsibility to engage with the voice and revelation and word of God so that this process continue, continue to move on? That's what James wants to talk to us about here. And as we go through this passage, I'm going to give you some words that start with the letter A that will sort of provide, hopefully, especially if you're taking notes, a roadmap through this passage. But let me say this, especially to a church like ours, one of the things that James is going to warn us about is this. Many of us mark our Bibles, and that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. But James is going to remind us, more than marking our Bibles, God wants our Bibles to mark us. God did not give us the Bible for information, but for transformation. So James says, if that's true and we have that conviction, then first of all, James says, there must be an attitude that moves into an acceptance of the Word of God. And he starts out this way by talking to us about those very things in verse 18. He says, understand this, grasp this, comprehend this, my dear beloved brothers and sisters. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of human beings does not accomplish God's righteousness. 
So laying aside all filth and evil excess, let's humbly welcome or embrace the message implanted within us, which is able to save our souls. See, James is saying, first of all, we have to start with an attitude. An attitude that we really do believe God is speaking and we really want to hear from God. So therefore, instead of being slow to listen, James says we'll be quick to listen. We will not be able to, to uh, you know, curb our enthusiasm, if you will, to hear from God. We can't wait to hear what God has to say to us because we do believe, as we even sung, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we believe, as the psalmist says, that his word is more than my necessary food. Therefore, we will be quick to listen to everything that God is saying to us. We will hang on every word. And instead of being quick to speak, which is where many people are today, James says, let's be quicker to listen, slow to speak, slow to speak so that we can truly hear what God is saying to us. And then he says, slow to anger, because so often, whether it's anger or other things that are in our hearts, we, we can bring these things that literally are like weeds in the soil of our heart. They are hindrances. They, they restrain, in a sense, God's voice and, and word and revelation truly breaking through and making a difference and transforming us rather than us just sitting and hearing it. So James says we've got to clear out what is hindering us being able to hear the word of God clearly or have it penetrate our lives, and we've got to remove it and, and, and get rid of the rocky soil or, or the soil that is choked by weeds, as Jesus talked about in the parables, and truly allow when we hear God's voice to come in and make a difference in our life rather than just sitting under it, which is why he goes on to say in verse 20, let's get rid of the filth and the evil excess, th things that can hamper God's voice or God's word penetrating my life and let's humbly welcome it. Let's embrace it. Let's realize that, that if we have faith that God does no more than we do, that he is an all-wise God and that he loves me, therefore everything he's going to tell me is going to be for my own good and my best interest. Again, going back to a test of faith, if I really believe that, then that means that I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to pursue listening and hearing from God. I'm going to pursue his word like never before because I can't wait to hear what God has to say because everything God has to say to me is going to be good and for my profit and for my benefit. And therefore, when I do hear God, I can't wait to not only have the attitude of, humbling myself and putting myself there, but of accepting it, of receiving it, you see. Amen. But it starts with an attitude. That kind of attitude that says, yeah, God, you know best. I'm going to listen to you from now on. 
And I can't wait to hear from you. I can't wait to put myself in places where I can hear your voice, I can hear your revelation, I, I can sense your word, I, I can hear the Holy Spirit. That, that's where I want to be, God. And then every time, I'm going to humbly welcome it. I'm going to accept it into my life. It may not be what I want to hear, but I know by faith it's what I need to hear. And I need to continue to accept your word and your revelation and your voice into my life. It will save my soul, James says. In other words, it will help and enable me to become who God created me to be. That's what James says. But he doesn't leave it there. He goes from sort of our attitude towards the Word and God's voice and God's revelation to an acceptance, then to application. Application. Because notice what he says in verse 22. He says, but be sure, be sure to live out the message and not merely listen to it and so deceive yourselves. Whoa. Wow. In fact, James will talk about self-deception twice in this passage, and I'll get to that a little bit more later on. You see, James says, it's great that we have an attitude and that we put ourselves in a place where we can listen and hear the Word of God and where we are accepting it into our life. It's literally coming into our life. But he says, that can't be where it stops. It's got to be applied. It's got to be lived out. I've got to put it into practice every day. Otherwise, James goes on to say in verse 23 and 24, I'll become a forgetful listener. You know, the best way to even remember messages from God to us is just put them into practice. Let me give you a basic and maybe extreme illustration, but one that I hope will resonate. Let's say that Pastor Jeff spoke on the subject of prayer last Sunday. Because you know how it is. Sometimes a couple weeks will go by, and I'll never do this to you because I wouldn't put myself on the spot. But if I came up to say, hey, what did I speak on a couple weeks ago? Oh, I, I can't remember. But here's the deal. Let's say Pastor Jeff or some other pastor or minister or something spoke on the subject of prayer that Sunday. And you literally then, Monday through Saturday, the whole next week, you just start incorporating prayer into your life more and more, and it became a part of your life. You were living out the message. Then it would be no trouble for you that next Sunday if somebody asked you, hey, what did the pastor preach on last week? You'd say, prayer, because I've been praying all week. That's how you and I make it stick not simply by hearing it and listening to it. Otherwise, if we never apply it, it doesn't stick. It doesn't. That's why James goes on to say in verse 23 and 24, if we simply listen to the message and do not live it out, we're like the person that comes before a mirror 
And they gaze into the mirror. And, and actually, the word gaze is a good word because it means we actually get a full picture. I mean, it's not like a drive-by into the mirror. We're actually gazing at this mirror. And we see what the reflection is revealing to us. But then James says, but then there comes a point, if I'm not willing to hang in there, I go out and literally detach myself from the mirror and I forget as I go through what the mirror revealed. Because I saw, I, I heard from God, but I never really went any further with that other than seeing a clear reflection of what was revealed to me in the mirror. And James says, we deceive ourselves as Christians when we think that simply by placing ourselves in an environment and experiencing God without truly personally engaging myself in it and allowing that environment and experience to make a difference and to make changes and to transform me. Somehow we think that simply by showing up, I'm good. And that's a very, as James says, self-deceptive, dangerous place to be as a child of God. See, here's what James is saying here. Experiences and environment are overrated, especially when we don't add personal engagement to the mix. Amen. For instance, in a church like this, you can come every week, even Wednesday night and Sunday, and you can experience and put yourself in the environment where we are worshiping God and where his revelation, his voice, his word is being opened, and we are sitting there in this environment, and we are experiencing worship, and we are experiencing the word of God. But if you and I personally are not, our heart and our mind is not engaged and hooked into it and connected to it to the point where we are allowing our worship environment and experience and our word environment experience to truly do something then it does no good. And we somehow think, and we bought into this even in our modern American Christianity, that simply by just showing up at church or opening my Bible every day and having devotions and reading the Bible or listening to worship music and just putting myself in all these places, that's all I need to do. And James is saying, no. No. Let me give you some biblical illustrations of why James was so passionate about this principle, about why it has to be applied. Let's start back with the fall of Lucifer. Lucifer was in a perfect environment. He was in heaven. He was there. He was right there with God. There was no sin. There was nothing wrong. Environment, experiencing God every day. Did that really make a difference in Lucifer's life? No. No. And yet there are many, again, Christians today that think if I just put myself in the right environment and the right experience and just somehow sit there and soak it, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be what I need. No. What we've become, many of us, is spiritual sponges that just keep soaking things up but never really allowing God to do a work in us 
to change us so that he can work through us. Let's go from Lucifer to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, walking with God in the cool of the day, every day. Did it really make a difference? No. Because they thought God was holding out on them and that God, what he said really wasn't the best, that this serpent over here, he, he's got something, you see. How about the disciples? Followed Jesus on earth for at least three years. Did it really make a difference that one of them betrayed him and that all of them forsook him and fled from him when he needed them the most? No. No. And how about James? You want to know why James is so passionate about this? Because James, being the brother of Jesus, lived with God the whole time he was growing up. And it never made a difference in James's life. The only thing that made a difference in James's life eventually was when he saw his brother crucified on the cross and he rose from the dead. That's what made the difference in James. Not all the time he spent growing up with God in his own house. Amen. So James is saying, I get this. And too often we think, if I just put myself in the right environment, if I just have the right experience, but there's no real personal engagement there where I allow God to come in and transform me and change me and make me who he wants me to be, that somehow I'm good. And James says, no, we're not. We are deceiving ourselves. We are thinking that somehow we are further along spiritually or we're better off spiritually than we really are simply because we attend, simply because we we open our Bible simply because we listen to Christian music if it's not changing our hearts and our minds. Amen. So there's attitude, there's acceptance, there's application, but then James moves to attachment. Because notice what James says in verse 25. He says, but the one who peers into the perfect law of liberty... I love that description of the word of God, his revelation, his voice. It is what will set us free to become who God created us to be. Because we're only free in Jesus, right? <laughs> Jesus said, if the sun sets you free, then you're free indeed. He says, if we peer into the perfect law of liberty and then fix our attention there and do not become a forgetful listener, but one who lives out the message, then notice what he says, we will be blessed in all that we do. I'll get to that in a moment. First of all, I want to direct your attention to the word peers in the net Bible. It's not a word that's used very often in the New Testament, and it literally means to get down and take a very, very close look. It was a word that, that was used... Uh, for, say, investigating something. In fact, it would be a very good word that would be used today for people that are forensic investigators that either go into a, a crime scene or something like that and literally have to go over every detail with a fine-tooth comb, as, as they used to say, to be able to capture everything and not miss a thing. It's the same word that was used in the New Testament when Mary got into the tomb of Jesus and the Bible says she bent down and she looked very carefully peering in to see what was going on in that tomb and could she find any trace of Jesus that was left there, any clue as to what happened to his body and where he was at. That's the word, peer. 
James says that's the way we should be towards God's voice, towards his revelation, towards his word, that we take a very careful look at it and that we don't leave the mirror ever, actually. We literally fix our attention, he says, on that message. And we do not detach ourselves ever or disconnect ourselves from the word of God. Some of you are going to say, well, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. I work. <laughs> how, how, how can God expect me to never detach myself from his word? I, I can't sit there at my desk, uh, whatever, and have, have the Bible opened, uh, you know, while I'm working. No, no, I understand that, and so does God. And that's why God says, I want to put my word in your minds and in your hearts. I want you to be able to carry my word, my revelation. I want you to be open to hearing my voice no matter what you're doing or where you're at and to constantly stay attached to me. I'm going to say this. If we all as Christians paid as much attention to God's voice, to God's revelation, to, to God's word as we do our electronic devices, we'd all be better off. Because many people today can't stop paying attention to their electronic device. How different would their life be if they laid that aside and start paying more attention to God's revelation? That's what James is saying here. You don't ever detach yourself from God's voice, from his revelation, from his word, from the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You let that, that open all day long, Every day of the year, 360, you just constantly stay attached to that. And you walk through the day, every day, attached, as well as applying, as well as accepting, with the attitude that, God, if you have spoken and if you are speaking to me, I want to hear. And when I hear it, I'm going to apply it, and I'm not just going to apply it and be done. I'm going to stay attached to your voice, to your revelation, to your word all the time. Amen. And James says, James says, in the word of God, that when you and I bring an attitude of acceptance, application, and attachment to the word of God, we will receive an anointing from God. That's what the phrase at the end of verse 25, being blessed in all that we do, means. What is God's blessing? You know, as Christians, we talk about that a lot. I'm blessed of God. What does it mean to be blessed of God? Many times we throw these terms and words and phrases around. We don't even really know what they mean. To be blessed by God is to literally be anointed by God. Well, what's that mean? It means that God literally comes along in his presence and power, literally places his hands, if you will, upon us so that we can accomplish something, so that we can achieve something for his glory. If you study blessing in the Old Testament and New Testament, when God came along to anoint somebody, it wasn't just to anoint them. It was to anoint them to achieve something, to accomplish something. That's why many times in the Old Testament, he came along and he anointed a priest or a prophet or a king. It wasn't just a position. It was so that they could accomplish what God wanted them to accomplish. And so when God comes along and blesses us, it's not just to bless us, 
It's for us to be able to achieve and accomplish something to bring glory to him and actually to benefit and profit us as well as everyone around us. Are we living with the anointing of God on us? Are we truly being blessed by God because we are accepting, applying, and attached to his revelation, to his voice, to his word at all times? Because here's what James says at the end of this passage that's so important. He says, you want to know what God wants to accomplish or achieve in our lives James gives us three examples. Now, this, this isn't an exhaustive thing, but James is saying, I'm going to pick out three things that God wants to accomplish in our life that he wants to, in a sense, change or transform in our lives. First thing is this. He says, if anyone thinks they're religious, I'll get to that in a minute, and yet cannot bridle or control their tongue, notice what James says, that we deceive our own hearts again, and our religion is what? Futile. Now, first of all, let's talk for a moment about why does James use the word religion? Aren't we understanding that as Christians, especially what the New Testament teaches, it's all about a relationship, right, with Jesus Christ, and it's, everything we do is born out of a relationship. So why does James, the brother of Jesus, come along and use this word religion? for this reason, very good reason. The word religion carries with it the idea that one can be so careful and meticulous in observing all these little things and making sure all these boxes in their life are checked off. But he says, most of the time, if not all the time, religious people are focused on minor things while letting go the bigger picture or major things. And they get caught up in making sure that they're very careful and meticulous about this and that, sort of straining at, at, at gnats and swallowing camels. And yet there's these big things that really to God are much more important. So James says, you want to know what God thinks is important? Building in our lives an inner power, an inner strength that can control our tongue. Because later on in our study of James in James chapter 3, James says, you know what? Humanly speaking, it's impossible for us as humans to control this. It is, it is the most unstable thing that you and I ha have a, you know, control over. Only God can help us control this. So he's saying, you want to know what God wants to accomplish and achieve in our life? He wants to give you and I an inner power and an inner strength to be able to control this tongue, this mouth. And if we can control the tongue or mouth, you know what James says? Then everything else is going to be less of a struggle than that because this is our biggest struggle. That's what God wants to achieve. That's what God wants to accomplish. Building in us this inner power, this inner strength that can control anything in our lives. It can restrain anything in our lives if we need it to. And if you and I can learn through God's power to control our tongue, then there's nothing else in our life that will be a stronger thing to have to put a bridle on than that. James says, don't miss that. And he says, you and I may think that our religion is really making a positive impact and influence on other people. But James says, if you and I can't control this, 
then most of the time we're going to be turning people off rather than turning them on because we simply can't control this. Your religion is futile. You may want to use all these external observances and being very meticulous about the way you live, somehow bring glory to God and, and make a difference in people's lives. But when you and I can't learn to control our mouth, our tongue, and what comes out of it, James says, our heart is deceived and our religion is going to be futile. Second, James says, you want to know what God wants to achieve in our life? He wants to create in us a heart of love and compassion and care for our fellow human beings, especially those who Jesus would call the least of these, which is why he says, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to care for widows and orphans in their misfortune. James says, you want the bigger picture? You want to know what God really wants to do? He not only wants to achieve and accomplish an inner power and inner strength that can control our tongue, he wants to shape our heart like his heart. He wants to give us a heart of love for our fellow human beings. He wants to give us a heart of compassion and empathy and sympathy and caring about others, especially those who need us the most, especially those who don't have anybody else. James says, where's our heart? Are we like the story of the Good Samaritan that the religious leaders just sort of saw this poor guy beat up and against the side of the road and we just sort of pass by or just say, I'm praying for you, buddy. Uh, ho hope you feel better. But the Good Samaritan took time to not only come alongside that man, put him on his animal, take him to the nearest town, pay for lodging, pay for his medical bills, told the guy that was taking care of him, if he racks up any more bills, I'll take care of him when I come through again. And I just want to make sure that this guy, is, Jesus says, that's who we need to be more like. Amen. Only God can create a heart for others. Because naturally, you and I are going to be selfish. Even as Christians, naturally left to ourselves, if we don't continue to attach ourselves and apply and accept the word and revelation and voice of God, we will all veer towards self because that's just our human nature. Paul even said one of the characteristics of the last days is people will be lovers of their own selves, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And I think if we're even half objective, we can look around and go, yeah, that's where most people are today. That's where they are. They're just looking out for themselves. In fact, you and I have to look out for ourselves even more because people don't look out for themselves. And can I just give you a quick one? You all know that if my spirituality is tested, it's tested when I'm behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> right? And can I just say, it, it's crazy to me that people just even drive through parking lots as if nobody else is around. And that I better make sure that I'm watching out for them and me too because they're not watching out for themselves or anybody else. That's the world we live in. How much more then does God want to create a heart that looks totally different than that? That's not just looking out for ourselves, but always looking out for others. You may be even right here today sitting beside somebody here today that's really hurting. 
You may run into somebody this week who really just needs a friend or needs some encouragement or needs some comfort. Just needs somebody to let them know you're not in this by, themse by themselves. That's the kind of heart that God wants to achieve and accomplish. And then third, James says to keep ourselves unstained from the world. In other words, God wants to not only create a heart for others, he wants to create in us a heart for him. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength so that whatever the world offers to us, we're not captivated by the world. We've already been captivated by Jesus Christ. There's nothing that the world could ever offer us. Once again, we can mark our Bibles, but does our Bibles mark us? And then, is the world marking us, or are we making a mark on the world? James is saying, when you and I attach ourselves and apply and accept the word of God into our lives, the world will have less of a mark on us, and we will be making more of a mark on the world. Jesus himself even went through this. Remember in one of his temptations what Satan did? He took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, they'll all be yours if you just bow down and worship me. That's still the way it is. That somehow the world has something to offer us that God can't. And that's when our faith is tested. Is the world going to offer me something that God can't, that's somehow better deal than God's? And yet again, going back to the Garden of Eden, isn't that what tripped us all up in the first place when Adam and Eve bought into that? Yeah, you're right. God's holding out on me. If he, if he doesn't want me to go eat fruit off of that tree, then that, that must be him holding out on me. I, I can't really enjoy all the other things that God's given me to enjoy because somehow I can't have that. It's the way human beings are. And so James is saying to us, really here, you want to know what God wants to accomplish and achieve through his anointing in our lives? First of all, it's an inner power and inner strength that can even control the hardest thing you and I as human beings have to control in our lives, and that's our mouth. Second, God wants to create in us a heart for other people. And third, God wants to create in us a heart for him so that whatever anyone else, including the world, offers to us, it won't be attractive to us. It won't lure us away. It won't draw us away because what we have in God cannot be equaled by anything or anyone else. What we have in him is absolute best we could ever experience. James says that's what God wants to accomplish in our lives. But again, James says it all goes back to how we respond to the voice, to the revelation, to the word of God in our life? Do we really have an attitude of, I can't wait to hear what God has to say to me? I can't wait to get to God's house. I can't wait to open up my Bible. I can't wait to listen to music that worships and adores and blesses God. I can't wait to put myself in an environment of worship and the word like this. But... Once I begin to be in those environments and experience those things, it can't end there. 
I've got to take what God is doing in here and I've got to apply it to my life and I've got to let God bring the changes and the transformation from the inside out that God wants to bring. And then as God's doing that, I've got to stay attached to God's voice and God's word and God's revelation always. I should never disconnect myself from that. I should never as a Christian walk away from God's mirror. I must learn to peer into the perfect law of liberty and literally lock myself down and fix my attention there. Because James says, the result of that is that you will be blessed in everything you do. God's anointing will be upon your life and you will be able to accomplish and achieve things through God's anointing that you and I could never do apart from God's anointing. What do we really want? Do we want to just sit in our good environments and have our experiences with God but never really have it make much of a difference in our life? That's where many Christians are today. They put themselves in the right environment. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with experiencing God and worship in the Word. But what about our own personal engagement? That's what God really wants us to experience. Could we stand and pray? Lord, I pray today that our worship of you, that our time with you and your revelation, God, would not go by again this Sunday without God, us marking this moment in some way of letting you mark us rather than us just marking up our Bibles that instead of the world making its mark on us, we are determined and resolved and ready to make our mark on the world. God, in some way, I pray that we would mark this moment today. Before we start our song of worship to close our time with God here as brothers and sisters today, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Would any of you say today, Lord, I heard you today, and I am marking this moment in my journey with you in some way. If that describes you today, would you simply raise your hand and put it back down? Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, I pray that all of us would in some way mark this moment, not to let this time go by, because, Lord, we can come before your mirror. We can experience your spirit. We can be in a great environment and have a wonderful experience with you and yet go out unchanged. I pray that as a church, 
that this Sunday would be a, a mark your moment Sunday in our church's history. And I pray for many of us as individuals that that would be the case as well. That we would be different after today. That we would be a different person walking out these doors today than we were when we walked in. God, would you use today in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.